you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus is easy to find. It's just the second book in your Bible. And we have just started this just a, a bit ago. And so we will be looking at chapter 4 of Exodus, verses 1 through 17 this evening. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Exodus chapter 4. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? <clears throat> Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, with which you shall do the signs. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, Lord, open our eyes that we might see the truth of your word. Lord, open our ears that we may hear you as you speak to us. Lord, open our hearts that we might receive your word and act upon it. 
This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Have you ever wished for a sign? Have you ever thought that it would make your faith better and stronger if God would just give you a sign that what He is saying is true? If He would give you a sign that would point you in the direction of where you are to go? Perhaps you may have even thought even a small sign would be sufficient. I don't need something great like an earthquake or thunder and lightning. How about something small like when Gideon put a fleece out and it was wet? Just something that I can see and hold on to. Have you ever thought that your life would be more certain if God would give you a sign? Well, this evening what I would like us to see is that signs are not subsequent to our faith. They, they come to verify the message of God, which we receive by faith. There is a story of a woman who was sick and in the hospital. And her husband gathered together their church, and they gathered around her, and they prayed. And they came back the next day, and she was still very sick. And they gathered around her, and they prayed. And after they prayed this way for several days, people came around her and they said, Why aren't you better? Don't you believe that God can heal you? Why aren't you responding to our prayer? Why don't you have enough faith that God can heal you? You see, they had completely mixed up the nature of God's work through signs. They thought that it was such that you could call God down like you would a butler or a servant. And by using the right form of words, God would do what you asked him to do if only you asked the right way. But that's not how faith works. Our faith needs encouragement. We need God to come to us in his word to build our faith. And so tonight we will see through our text that the power of signs is inextricably linked to the Word of God. We'll see three things this evening. First, we'll see the Word disobeyed. And then second, we will see the Word authenticated. And then third, we will see the command of the Word. The Word disbelieved, the Word authenticated. And the command of the word. Let's begin by looking at the word as it is disbelieved. Right in the first verse of chapter 4. Then Moses answered. But behold they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say the Lord did not appear to you. Now chapter 4 is obviously connected to chapter 3. The scene is the same in chapter 4 that it was in chapter 3. Now, I want you to understand this because we're fighting against two things here. The first thing is it's been several weeks since we looked at chapter 3. The second is you, like me, are looking at the text and there is this very large, maybe even in red, number 4 between the end of 3 and our text this evening. But we have to understand that these chapter divisions are artificial. They're there for our benefit, but they're not inspired. And so Moses is still in the midst of his conversation with God upon the mountain. We're just now entering into a next phase of this discussion. 
And so, just as we saw previously in chapter 3, verse 10, there was a connection with the word, therefore. Now here, in chapter 1, we see a connective word, then. This serves to remind us that there is a continuity of time between chapter 3, verse 22, and chapter 4, verse 1. This one little word reminds us of what we saw previously, that Moses had been promised to deliver Israel, that God had revealed to Moses who he was, the eternal, unchangeable, sovereign Lord. Moses had been reminded of God's covenant with his people and that God is personal and relational. And that God had promised Moses that he will certainly be with Moses. We saw this in chapter 3, verse 2, or excuse me, verse 12. In our translation, the word but is used, but often this means certain or certainly. And in other translations, it is God saying, I will certainly be with you. God had not left Moses to face Pharaoh alone. Now, we need to remember that. It seems like Moses has forgotten that. And so, Moses heard these words just moments before. Also remember that God had promised a great and glorious victory. Do you remember the end of chapter 3? That the Israelites would plunder Egyptians. That the Egyptians would give of their riches to the Israelites as God had delivered them. And so it's almost as if to wonder... Has Moses forgotten all of this? Now, there is another single word that provides context for what Moses is about to say. It is the word in verse 1, answered. Now, in Moses' previous two objections to God, in chapter 3, verse 11, and chapter 3, verse 13, you will see it said that Moses said. Now, here he is answering. And there's a difference here. When Moses answered, it has more of the connotation of a formal response. It's almost debating language. In my previous life, as it were, when I was an attorney, one of the things that attorneys do when a lawsuit is filed is they file an answer in which they typically refute everything that has been said in the lawsuit. This is the kind of context that we have here. It is more than simply responding. See, when we think of answering, we just think of answering a question, responding. But instead, here we have God laying out his entire purpose, his plan and the result of his redemption. And he finishes by telling Moses of his gracious victory of the plundering of the Egyptians. And Moses' response is fierce disobedience. This word here for answer is the same word that's used in the ninth commitment, ninth commandment, excuse me, for bearing witness. Moses is bearing witness against God. Naomi says this in Ruth chapter 1, verse 21. She says, why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified, same word, against me? So this objection from Moses is different from the previous two. In his first objection, Moses pled his humble estate before God. 
Remember that we saw that he had learned humility in the school of the desert. In his second objection, Moses had asked God to reveal himself and his character to the Israelites. In neither one of these cases was Moses disobedient. But now we see Moses directly contradicting the word of God. God had told Moses that the Israelites, look at it, in verse 18 of chapter 3, will listen to your voice. The word there for listen is the exact same word as Moses uses here in verse 1. It's as if God says, they will listen to your voice, and Moses says, but God, what will happen when they don't listen? I often wonder why God's reply was not, Moses, are you listening to me? Do you see what I just told you? We see this oftentimes with our children, don't we? You might be walking down the street, you might say to a young child, don't pick that up off the ground. You may take a few more steps and you turn around and what's happened? They pick that thing up and they're looking at it and making a mess. And you say, are you listening to me? Didn't I just tell you not to pick that up off the ground? And what happens often when you say, why did you pick that up off the ground? What's the response? I don't know. There's no rational explanation. That's kind of what's happening to Moses here. This is not rational for him to contradict God. And there is an irony in Moses' objection. He is doing exactly what he's accusing the Israelites of being about to do. God has told told Moses that the Israelites will listen, and yet Moses poses the exact opposite. Behold, or we might even translate it, suppose. God, suppose they don't listen. Now, what does Moses mean here? He's asking the sovereign king of the universe to contemplate the frustration of his will and plan. That's what's at work here. God, what happens if you're not in charge? What happens if you can't make your plan come about? Then what will I do? What do I do if they deny that your word is true, God? And even more pointedly, what do I do if they don't accept me as your messenger? What if they say, I'm a liar and you never appeared to me? Now notice how important here the authenticity of God's messenger is. If the Israelites doubt that God appeared to Moses, then the Israelites won't be able to lay hold of the word of God that God has given to them through Moses. What do you think would have happened to the church if it would have rejected Paul as the messenger of God? If we would have attempted to live as followers of Jesus Christ without half of the New Testament because we weren't sure it was reliable? Don't we often do this as well? Aren't we like Moses, doubting that God can make his word effective through us We say to ourselves, how could anybody possibly believe what we're saying? How could they possibly believe the word of God if I bring it to them? Who am I? I'm just a housewife. I'm just a teenager. I'm just a truck driver. I'm just a doctor. Who would believe me? 
that I'm bringing the truth of God. Is there any hope for us? Is there any hope for doubting Moses? There is hope. Let's look at God's gracious response and how the word is authenticated. God begins with a simple question. Now, Moses has basically, maybe unintentionally, just called God a liar. God had said Israel would listen to Moses, and Moses says, well, what if you're wrong? Now, has this ever happened to you? Has a spouse ever doubted what you've said? And then, how do you respond? Do you snap back in righteous anger? Do you set them straight that they should be listening to you? I want you to look and see how God treats Moses. This is the same God that we serve today. He doesn't give Moses a theological quiz. He doesn't strike him down. He is tender and he asks a simple question. It's a question so simple that every child here tonight could answer it. God says to Moses... What's in your hand? Now, does it get any simpler than that? Even if Moses has no clue, all he's got to do is what? Look down. It's so gracious and tender. Look at what God asks of Moses. He doesn't ask him for obedience in a difficult manner. He first asks him to obey in an exceedingly simple task. He says, what is in your hand? A staff. Well, cast it on the ground. Again, this is something that any among us could handle. This is not difficult obedience. Again, the smallest among us aren't like professionals at throwing things on the ground. And so Moses here is being treated by God in the most gentle and tender of way. And so Moses can obey, and he quickly does. But notice that, as our Lord said in Matthew 25, he that is faithful in a little shall be entrusted with more. And so after Moses obeys, God asks more of him. He casts the staff on the ground, and it becomes a snake. And it's such that Moses is frightened and taken aback. Now, you have to understand what's going on here. Moses, I feel very confident in saying this, did not grow up like me in Buffalo, New York. If I saw two snakes in all of my time in Buffalo, that's probably exaggerated by double. And so when we moved south, we started to understand that there were things like snakes, and they got around houses, and they even got in houses and in garages. Now, Moses isn't just a southerner, he's a shepherd. Part of his job description is dealing every day with snakes out in the desert, out in the wilderness. So Moses is not all of a sudden afraid of one snake. But what Moses has seen here is the power of God. That's what frightens him. He's been questioning God. And God that quickly performs a miracle, a sign in front of him. And Moses now is taken aback because of the power of God. And so God continues to use these signs before Moses, that these signs have meanings. First, God identifies Moses with himself. The rod that Moses has is a sign of power. 
and of God's sovereignty over Egypt. And this first sign that God performs is meant to show his authority in Egypt because the snake was a symbol of power and authority in Egypt. You may recall, as as I take you back once again to my favorite film, The Ten Commandments, do you recall in the court of Pharaoh, the staffs of Pharaoh's servants, and the emblems around Pharaoh, they were always of gigantic cobras? That was a symbol of power and authority in Egypt. And here God is saying, I have power over Egypt. Then God tells Moses to take his hand and place it in his cloak. And so in this sign, God is identifying Moses with the people. He takes his hand and where does he put his hand? He puts it close to his heart. And when he takes it out, the text tells us it's leprous, like snow. Now, I'm going to be a bit more vivid for you so you get the point. It's not just that it was like a white glove. Now, once he took his hand out, it was like white, rotting, dead flesh. God is showing Moses that he and the Israelites are a sinful people. And that apart from God, they are dead. And then God tells him to put the hand back in the cloak... And he's healed and restored, showing the healing and restoring power of God to a people in need. And then finally he says, there is a third sign that you will have. It's another sign of power and authority, but of judgment. He says, you are to go down to the river. Our text tells us it's the Nile, but it really is just the river. Because there's only one river in Egypt. It's the Nile. And he says, you are to take the water out from the Nile. Now, you have to understand that the Nile is the source of all life in Egypt. It's where drinking water is found. It's where plants can be planted and harvested. Because that's where life is, because there's life-giving water. And God says, I can turn your life into death, into blood. God is showing these signs. These signs have meanings, but they also have purpose. And here we come to the point of the entire passage. God says that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. God shows why these signs have been given. It is to link The word of God with belief. That's why the signs are given. They have no purpose on their own. They are not a show. They are not for their own power. The signs have been given so that the word of God may be believed. And it will turn out exactly as God has said. If we skip ahead to where we will be in several weeks, at the end of chapter 4 in verses 30 and 31, we see that the people believed. It does exactly what God has said. Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, true miracles are the most convincing external proofs of a divine mission. 
Jesus puts it this way in John chapter 5. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. You see, the works that God did through our Lord Jesus Christ, the signs that Moses performed, these miracles are not an end in themselves. They are there to authenticate the word of God. Because what has power is not the work, but the word. And we have the word of God. And so we have many, many miracles here. Perhaps more miracles in a confined space than any place else in Scripture. There are three of them that occur pop, pop, pop. But over and over again, what occurs throughout this passage is believe. Look with me briefly through this passage. We see in verse 1, believe. We see in verse 5, that they may believe. We see in verse 8, twice, if they will not believe, they may believe the latter sign. We see in verse 9, if they will not believe. And then again in verse 31, they believed. The point that our text is making here is that the signs that God is performing through Moses are so that the word is believed. And this belief is inseparable from faith. The word believe here is the same word that's used in Genesis 15, 6 about Abraham, that he believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him as righteousness. The signs, in effect, speak. Their voice accompanies Moses and the word. Notice the juxtaposition in our text of believing with listening to the first sign. They listen to the sign and believe. Now, what does this mean for us here? Well, we have the ultimate sign, don't we? The ultimate sign is the resurrection of Christ. Paul puts it this way in Romans 1. He says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead. The resurrection was a declaration about Jesus. And in John chapter 20, we notice in the context of that most incredible miracle, that along with many other signs, they were all written, John says, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing, you may have life in His name. In Mark chapter 16, the apostles went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. These signs confirm the word of God. Now, the sign itself does not guarantee a faithful response because we will see that Pharaoh rejects the sign in Exodus chapter 7. And this is also the case with those who heard Christ. In John chapter 12 we read, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah has said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. You see, it is by faith that we see. 
And we have evidence. And that final word, that final sign is Christ. Long ago, Hebrews 1 tells us, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now the third thing we see is that the God of the word commands Moses through the word. Now it's interesting that after answering God and after having been given the signs, Moses continues to resist God. Look at verse 10. Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Now, Moses begins here with a a particle of exclamation. Oh, he's pleading his case before God. Now, this is the same way that Judah spoke to Joseph when he was pleading for Benjamin. It's the same way that the woman spoke to Solomon about the child that was in dispute. Moses is not about to be convinced by the signs. And that's because Moses' focus is on himself, not on God. And so he now pleads a lack of eloquence. Now, the interesting thing about this is it's contrary to what Stephen tells us in Acts chapter 7. In verse 22, he tells us Moses was mighty not only in deeds, but in words. So what is Moses doing here? I think Moses is focused on the fact that God has not given him a miraculous mouth. Instead, he's just given to him his word. Now contrast this with Paul, who understood that the power was in the message of God, not in the messenger. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You see, the power of God comes through His Word, not through the messenger. That's what gives you and me hope. Do you feel discouraged because you don't have 40 Bible verses memorized the next time you go to speak to someone about Jesus? Do you think you're not ready to answer every possible objection that someone could give to you about the faith? Does that cause you to freeze? Or worse yet, not even engage in a conversation that's evangelistic because you think you're not worthy? Well, what you need to understand is it doesn't matter if you're not worthy. None of us are worthy messengers of God. But the message of God is the power of life. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. We don't need miracle mouths. It's enough that we have the word of God. And listen to God's response to Moses. He says, you're worried about your mouth? Who made your mouth? Didn't I make your mouth? Am I not the one who's sovereign? Did I not know what I was doing and who you were when I chose you? Is it Aaron your brother? 
Isn't he available to help? Have I not thought all of this out? Why do you object as if I don't know what I'm doing? The mission, God says, is not to be accomplished by your eloquence, but by my word. God says, I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to say. Beloved, abilities are nothing with God. He can change them at will. Now notice here that God does not tell Moses to improve himself for the task. That's the way of the world. I often think of a humorous story of the famous Greek orator Demosthenes. Demosthenes was one of the three great orators of all of the Greek culture. And the problem that he had was is that he spoke with a stuttering lisp. Now he was so concerned that he improve himself that he devised a technique to help him to speak. What he would do is he would take pebbles and put them in his mouth and then he would attempt to speak and to recite passages. Now, don't ask me why you'd think putting pebbles in your mouth would help you to speak better, but that's what he did. He went to extreme lengths to try to improve himself so that he could speak better and be more persuasive. God is not asking Moses to put in hard work to be the kind of messenger that God deserves. No, what God is saying is, you are my messenger because I have chosen you. The answer for Moses is the same as the answer for the Israelites. God and his word, the great I am, will be with Moses. Now this is interesting. God says, I will be with you. And when God says, I will be, it's his name. It's the same words. I am and I will be in the Hebrew are the same. It's as if God is saying, I told you to tell them my name is I am. You should know my name is I am. I will be with you. Now I want you to notice something else. The word of God brings action. I think oftentimes we tie ourselves up in knots and we're not sure what we can do and we hesitate. And I want you to see what God tells Moses in verse 12. It's pretty simple. Again, even the young people here understand this. You ready? Go. Do you understand that? It's pretty simple. One word. Two letters. It brings action. That's what God says to Moses. We're done having this discussion here. Go. Act. Now Moses still hesitates, but then God's patience wears thin in verse 14. The anger of the Lord is kindled against him. The excuses are now over, and Moses must simply obey. The command of God has come to him, and the time is for action. So what does this tell us this evening? I want to encourage you tonight. Stop looking for signs. The word is there before you. It's there to be obeyed. Remember that obedience to the word of God here meant deliverance from bondage. As Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. That is no different today than it was then. Because the word is still with us today. 
I conclude with this verse from Isaiah 59. That this promise is true for us. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. That's the promise of God. It's a promise to you. It's a promise to me. We have God's word. It is sure and secure. We need to embrace it. We need to believe it. And we need to act on it. Let's pray.